I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Amos. And we today will be looking at Amos chapter 8. From verse 4 down through the end of the chapter in verse 14. Throughout our study, we have noted that there is a common theme that ties these verses together. And that theme is the justice of God. That justice is important to God. And then when God's people don't treat other people rightly or fairly, that is offensive to God. Last week in chapter 7 verse 1 through chapter 8 verse 3, God showed Amos the prophet four different visions, all with the purpose of demonstrating that God was going to bring discipline upon his people Israel. And yet we saw in chapter 7 verses 10 through 17 that Israel's leaders just pushed that revelation away. They pushed away God's word. They did not want to hear it. And so today, in Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 14, the Lord through the prophet Amos is going to show his people Israel that when they push away his word, two things are going to result. He's going to bring discipline which will cause them to grieve. And we will see that in chapter 8 verses 4 through 10. And then even worse for Israel. And they don't understand the gravity of the next statement. Until they will experience how painful it is. That the Lord is going to go silent. I'm going to read the section out loud. You can follow in your copy of the scripture and watch as we go down through these verses. First of all, for God to list Israel's offenses and then he will tell them you are going to go into mourning and then he will share with them and even worse, he will go silent. Starting the read in Amos chapter 8 verse 4. Hear this, you who trample the needy, to do away with the humble of the land, saying, When will the new moon be here so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may open the wheat market, to make the bushel smaller and the shackle bigger, and to cheat with dishonest scales? So as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals, that we may sell the refuse of the wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. Because of this, will not the land quake and everyone who dwells in it mourn? Indeed, of all of it will rise up like the Nile and it will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark and broad daylight. Then I will turn your festivals into mourning. And all your songs into lamentations. I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins and baldness on every head. And I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son. And the end of it will be like a bitter day. Behold, 
Days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall and not rise again. And as painful as this message will be for Israel to hear, it will be much more painful for them to experience First, the pain of discipline through which they will grieve. But even more painful will be God turning silent. In 1982, I was in college and one of my buddies said, hey, why don't you come home with me? To my parents ranch in Wyoming. For a long weekend. I'd never been to Wyoming. So I thought why not. So we jumped in his little car. We drove non-stop to Wyoming. Where his parents lived out on a ranch. Near Buffalo, Wyoming. And by Wyoming standards. The ranch was not large. By Iowa standards. It was huge. One night. Way after dark. We jumped in my buddy's vehicle and drove out to the center of their property and just got out of the car and walked out away from it a ways and just stood there. Complete silence. No cars, no trains, no airplanes, no sirens, no people yelling. No sound at all, except just some insects. And at first I thought, this is really cool. But as I've reflected on that moment, I wonder what I would think being out there by myself for an hour, for several hours, for a day. For several days, for weeks, for months. I kid my wife Barbara sometimes that maybe when we retire we should move off the grid up into the wilderness of Alaska. And she said you wouldn't make it five minutes. (laughs) Silence. And while it might be a little bit scary for us to think about silence from everything that surrounds us now. Silence from other people, silence from the traffic, silence from town. What if we actually experienced silence from God? We don't talk very much about hearing from God or having God's voice speak to us. 
We are a church where we believe that the sign gifts are not normative for today. Those gifts of the Spirit where maybe in the very early church, the Spirit of God would speak directly a word from the Lord to an individual believer. They would have a word straight from God to them. But we would hold, as well as many other churches like ours, that once the scriptures were complete, we don't need to have a direct word from God to us as individuals. God speaks to us through his word. But because we hold to those truths, sometimes we shy away from the subjects of listening to the Spirit of God, hearing from God, hearing God's voice. And when I say that, I'm not talking about an audible voice. But as Christians, God definitely speaks to us by means of his Holy Spirit. Hearing from God is the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and using the Word of God to confront us, to direct us, to comfort us, to reassure us. And sometimes those of us who have put our trust in Jesus And have lived out the Christian life for a while. Sometimes we may grow so accustomed to the presence of the Spirit of God. That we are not cognizant of the fact that he speaks to us through his word. Every Christian has the Spirit of God dwelling within. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 assures us of that. An Old Testament believer may not have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God would only come and rest on a believer for a particular task or for a particular time. But we have the great privilege of every Christian at the moment we put our trust in Christ having the Spirit of God come in and permanently take up residence in us. Ephesians 1 tells us he seals us with the Spirit of God. He is our pledge of our inheritance. And one of the main ministries of the Spirit of God is to take the Word of God and impress it upon our hearts. Do you remember David in the Psalms said that his mind instructs him in the night? How many times have you experienced God just bringing some scripture to your mind, to your heart, when you least expect it. We have an Awana program here at Faith Bible Church for children to have the opportunity to memorize God's word. The reason we do that is not just to somehow uh, change how a child lives today. When a child takes in God's word, God will use that scripture in that child's life the rest of their life. And God takes his word through the spirit of God and he assures us, he corrects us, he directs us, he teaches us. If the spirit 
went silent in your life and my life. We would have no joy. We'd have no assurance. We'd have no sense of right or wrong. And God would seem to be a million miles away. So what God tells the people of Israel through the prophet Amos here is a somber message. It's probably one of the most pointed messages in the Old Testament. Certainly some of the most critical verses in the book of Amos. When God tells Israel, you will hear me no more. We can't even fathom it. So what the Lord does, having already testified to the fact through the prophet Amos that Israel keeps turning a deaf ear to his message. And we saw that lived out last week in chapter 7 verses 10 through 17. Here he tells Israel now. Since you've chosen to push away my word, this is what's going to happen next. As a result of my, of my discipline, you are going to experience deep grief. And what's going to cause you the most grief is that I am going to go silent. In verses 4 through 10, we see that God's people will grieve. When he disciplines them. Here he disciplines them. For not treating people fairly. As we've gone through this book so far. uh, One of the main applications for our hearts. Is to make sure. That as we look at our own lives. We are doing right by other people. Here the Lord will bring charges. His charges to Israel. Starting in verse 4. He tells them. You trample the needy. And they do it for a purpose. To do away with the humble of the land. All they want to do is wipe out those who their number one desire is to, is to get their stuff. Those who don't have the ability to stand up for themselves. The Israelite wealthy are just eating them up. They want to destroy them to get their things. In fact, it's gotten so bad that verse 5 tells us on their holy days, Israel's holy days, days when there's not supposed to be any work, like the festival of the new moon or or the, the weekly Sabbath, Israel's leadership can, and, and those who are of the, of the wealthy of Israel can hardly stand having to wait through that holy day because they just want to get back to work so they can take advantage of people more. Look at verse 5. When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain in the Sabbath that we may open the wheat market? And this is how they're taking advantage of people. 
to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger. The bushel is literally the word ephod. It was a measure, a dry measure. So they would say, okay, this is the standard measure for an ephod, a a measure of grain, of wheat. We're just going to downsize that a little bit. It's kind of like what's happened here in America when we try to buy ice cream. We used to be able to get a half gallon of ice cream. Now, what is it? Some three point some liters. It's not a half gallon. What they're doing is they're, they're not labeling it as less. They're selling it as a half gallon, but it's not really. And then it tells us that they are making the shackle bigger. The shackle is a weight, a, ma- a weight, a measurement weight. Picture it on a scale. So you come, you buy your, your grain, your wheat, and you're supposed to get this much, but actually they've kind of downsized the measure so you're only getting this much. Then they put too much weight on the scale, so for you to pay for your grain, you've got to add more on this side to even it out, so you're paying more for less. And then what they're doing down in verse 6, they're adding refuse to the wheat. My brother-in-law has a big seed cleaning business up in the North Dakota, about 15 miles from the Canadian border. And he cleans all kinds of grains and, and it runs it through a bunch of screens. And then what gets cleaned out, the screenings are like weed seeds and the outer chaff off the grain. You know what these guys are doing? They're taking those screenings and they're dumping it back into the grain. So you get home from buying wheat and open up your bag and, oh my stars, look how dirty this is. There's all kinds of refuse in here. There's all kinds of seeds and chaff in here. So you pay more and get less and what you get is dirty. That's what they're doing. And the Lord hates it. In fact, in verse 7, it says, The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. By the way, if you're reading out of a New International Version, you'll notice that the word pride is capitalized. The editors of the NIV think that the pride of Jacob is a reference to God. So he's saying that the Lord is swearing by himself. And he does do that earlier in the book. He takes an oath by his own character. Probably not what's happening here. Most likely what the Lord is saying here and referring to the pride of Jacob is saying, Israel, you are so stuck in your pride, your pride is going to go on forever. And so I'm going to take an oath by that which is going to go on forever, your pride, that I am always going to remember how you have hurt your fellow countrymen. And so, he tells them once again, I'm going to discipline you. It is going to be such a severe discipline that you're actually going to experience physical manifestations of my discipline on the land. There will be earthquakes and the the ground is going to quake like visibly, almost like the waves of the Nile. And then verse 10 says, you will grieve. I'll turn your festivals into mourning, your songs into laments. 
I'll bring sackcloth on everyone's loins. Sackcloth is that really rough material that if a person was mourning, they would put it on just to, to express how sorrowful they are before the Lord. And then he says in verse 11, and baldness on every head. You're probably thinking the Lord's disciplining Pastor Steve. <laughs> now what he's saying here is that you are going to be in such grief and mourning, you'll shave your heads out of mourning. For example, in the book of Micah, we find a reference to this in chapter 1, verse 16, just a few pages back. In Micah 1, 16, it says, Make yourself bald, cut off your hair because of the children of your delight. Extend your baldness like the eagles, for they will go from you into exile. Israel by the prophet Micah was saying, your children are going to go into exile and you're going to be so grief stricken, you'll shave your heads. And that's what he's talking about here. You will have grief upon grief because of the Lord's discipline. Barbara and I love being grandparents. I tell people it's better being a grandparent than a dad. Because you get to enjoy the kids and you don't have to do anything with them. And it's so interesting. It's been a reminder to us how children are so different from each other. Some children have such a tender spirit that if you just lift the tone of your voice, you'll just put them into tears. Other children are so hard-headed, it doesn't seem like anything will penetrate that skull. And we have to discipline children different, right? Depending on who the child is. Our youngest son was the social one. It's like, where's the party? Because I'm here. He loves being with people. He is so social. He's still social today. He just strikes up conversations with strangers all the time. Our middle son, whenever there would be like a school social, he'd go squirrel hunting. So he's not so social. But this young one, oh my, he's social. So to discipline him, we found out that a time out was quite effective. And Barbara and I still laugh about one evening we made him go on time out in his room. As his buddies were outside playing outside of his bedroom window. And we hear this little voice screaming across the house, I'd rather have a spanking. <laughs> we love that. I'd rather just get this discipline thing over. Just come and spank me so I can get on with my life. I'd rather get spanked. Why? Because this discipline thing is not fun. It hurts too much. And that's what the Lord's telling Israel. It's going to hurt. You know what's interesting is that God just doesn't tell Israel that he will discipline them. He tells us the same thing. And we have been going for several weeks back to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to take us there one more time today. Hebrews chapter 12. And I just want to look at verse 11. In verse 11 it says this. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. 
Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It hurts. It's sorrowful. And one of the things that Israel is experiencing and are going to experience not too long after these words have been shared with them is that God will discipline them because they have continued to push away his word. For us today, we can find ourselves doing the same thing. We can have the spirit of God bring some scripture to our minds that is exactly what we need to hear for the moment and yet we say I don't want to do that and push it away you can be reading your Bible and have the words come right off the page straight into your heart I can't tell you how many times Over my 29 and a half years of being a pastor, how many times I've had people angry with me at the end of a service thinking that I was talking about them. I think, no I wasn't. But the Spirit of God took something out of those verses that they read and was impressing it on their heart. And And if we don't deal with that, if we don't respond to that, if we push that away, the Lord tells us he's going to bring discipline. In fact, we're going to see in verses 11 through 14, he said sometimes he will even go silent. When God's people continue to reject his words, he goes silent. Look with me at verse 11. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. And verse 12 and verse 13, pictures Israelites literally searching all over their countryside, trying to find a prophet to give them a word from God. We're hurting We need encouragement. We need to know there's going to be an end to this. Please help us. Please help us. Silent. And in verses 13 and 14. The prophet Amos refers to the fact that they have had all their confidence in the guilt of Samaria. The idols of Samaria. In fact... Who say, as your God lives, O Dan, with a little g. Meaning, you've had all your confidence in these idols. Now God's brought discipline into your life. And here's what happens. It can happen, it happened to Israel and it can happen very easily to you and me. We can just be tooling along in our lives. And just as is the case here, things going great. We feel secure financially. Everything is going good with the job. Everything's going on fine with the family. Everything's going good. And we're just going along and we don't even realize that we've stopped listening to God. We've stopped depending on him. 
We've stopped coming to his word so that he can speak to us. We just start living in our own strength and not even talking to him in prayer and and telling him how much we need him on a daily basis. And before we know it, we've stopped hearing from him. I've been trying to convince Barbara that maybe we should get a second dog. We have a six-year-old Brittany named Roxy. Roxy is my pheasant dog. And I've been trying to plant some seeds. Like, you know, Roxy's already six. If we got another pup now, then Roxy would be seven and the pup would be one. And the pup could come and learn from Roxy and Roxy would have some fun. And then when Roxy's eight, she's going to be kind of getting a little little decrepit in dog years. And, and the pup would just be ready to kind of come on behind. I think maybe we should get another pup. And Barb says, no. Well, the puppy thing is hard, isn't it? It's hard raising a pup. And especially if you want to have that pup hunt, there's some special things you have to do. One of the things that you have to do is teach that dog to stay with you. If I'm going to have a dog to hunt with, I want that dog to hunt with me. I don't want it to go point pheasants for my buddy down the, down the row. I want him to hunt for me. So one of the things that you do with a hunting dog is when it's a pup, you've got to teach it to stay with you. And what I like to do is find about 20 to 40 acres of CRP, just some nice knee-high grass, and go out into the middle of it where everything's safe, there's no cars or anything around, and go out there with the pup. And the pup will be with you, not least or anything, just walking along with you, and inevitably, that pop will think, I'm going to go off on my own way. I'm just going to walk over here and see what's over there and smell over there. Because I bet the smells over there are better than the smells over here. And just kind of wander off. Not realizing that they've wandered away from their master. So then what you do is you just duck down on the grass. And go silent. And pretty soon that pup's thinking... Where's Steve? I don't like this. I don't feel very secure. I don't know where he's at. I might be lost. I may not ever get out of this grass. What's going to happen to me? I need him. I need him. I need him. Silent. And you have to let that pop just experience some silence. Whine a little bit. And then show yourself again. Oh, then that pup will stay with you for a while. And then starts getting kind of confident again. And it may wander off again. And then you just duck down. Let it experience some silence. And after a while, that pup will be trained to always keep their eyes on the master. To know where you are. To stay close to you. Now that it's pheasant season. I can't get my dog off my heel. When I'm at home. She knows what time of year it is. She follows me everywhere. And if I try to leave the house without her. She pouts like you can't believe. And you know what? By the way. It's probably not the best thing to do with your kids. It's a dog illustration. (laughs) I'm going to ditch you son. Um, But. 
in a way, that's kind of what the Lord does with us. Because when we get overconfident and self-confident and start thinking that we're living our life on our own strength and our own abilities and we stop praying and we stop coming to his word to let him speak to us through his Holy Spirit by his word. It's almost like us just going off on our own way and he will go silent. And for a while we think, hey, life's great until his discipline comes. And then all of a sudden, hey, I don't like this. And I, I, I better pray. And so we've lift up some, some uh, superficial prayer and it feels like God's a thousand miles away. Until we come back to him. In genuineness of heart, confessing our waywardness and our self-dependence. So that we can hear his voice. Again, And here the prophet Amos is telling Israel, this is what's coming. We can see it in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2, the apostle Paul says that people can say no to God so much and push God back so much that it will actually sear their conscience. Our conscience is our ability to hear from God. When we sear it, we Damage it. And we can push God away so much we can actually damage our ability to hear the Spirit of God in our lives. And it takes that renewing work of the Spirit of God to transform our hearts and minds again to hear Him once again. We know from 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 3 through 5 that the Apostle Paul says a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled they will accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires. You can find some preacher to tell you whatever you want to hear. Just go on the internet. In fact, in the church in Corinth... They pushed God's words so far away that they started becoming proud of their sin in 1 Corinthians 5. Hey, we are open-minded. We are a very open-minded church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the first five verses, it says that there's sin existing in the Corinthian church that doesn't even get spoken of in Gentile pagan homes. A man has his father's wife, most likely like a stepmom. And the apostle Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 2 that they become arrogant. You're proud about this. Hey, look how open-minded we are. And instead of mourning like they should, they've grown arrogant because they've pushed God away. They've walked away from him and they don't even realize that they've stopped hearing his voice. So God brings discipline. In fact, he tells the Corinthian church that some of them even are going to experience premature death because they failed to turn around and come back to the Lord and so Amos's words 2,750 years ago are just as applicable to us today as Christians. And we see the same challenge to us in the New Testament scriptures. That God will discipline us when we turn a deaf ear to him. And if we keep pushing him away, he'll go silent. 
And we may not recognize it a while for a while, but after a little bit, we'll realize, where's my joy? We'll realize that the decisions we've been making haven't been ones that honor him. And we'll realize that our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And the Lord has ducked down waiting for us to actually genuinely in our hearts confess our sin and to come back to him. The Lord will go silent when his people continue in their refusal to listen to his words. How much better it is to follow his leading, his training, and stay close to him and keep our eyes on him. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your love to us, your care for us. We praise you that you love us so much that you're willing to bring discipline to us. Help us. To always keep our ear attuned to you and to your word. And to respond to it. We pray this in your name. Amen.